we come tonight to one of the, the best known, I guess, passages in the Bible. Uh, books have been written about it, it's been read on state occasions. Uh, I think I've preached on it at 14 weddings so far, and possibly heard it at about 68 weddings so far. It's a classic wedding sermon, is it? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. It's, it's a great poem. It's a beautiful poem about love. And if you want to find out what love's about, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great chapter to go to. If you want to find out what God really thinks about love, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great, great chapter to go to. Except uh, when Paul wrote this chapter, he wasn't thinking of sort of doughy-eyed couples standing in church and gazing into each other's eyes and thinking how wonderful and how lovely you are. Uh, when Paul wrote this chapter, he's writing to a church, and a wayward church, and a church who think that they are something and important, and a church that needs to be rebuked. And this chapter is actually one of those stinging rebukes uh, that if you read it out of context, you just miss its meaning completely. Uh, see, chapter 13 comes between chapters 12 and chapter 14. And, and chapters 12 and chapter 14 are all about spiritual gifts. If you just joined us, uh, spiritual gifts are just grace gifts, gifts given to us by God. We've all got them. Uh, some are, are dramatic, like uh, tongues or a healing or a prophecy. Others are, are more mundane, like helping or administration or encouragement. We've all got gifts. They're all important, all equally important. And we should all use them to build up the body, to build up God's church. Uh, but here's the point. When Paul sort of has a, a picture of Corinth in his mind, he imagines people. And there are people who are in church, uh, and there's Betty, and she has got a, a tongue, and she's, she's talking this language, which is great, and it's fantastic, it's encouraging for her. And then there's Peter, and he's got a prophecy. And it's a great prophecy, it's a word of encouragement, and many are encouraged. And then uh, Valerie stands up, and she's got a, a gift of hospitality. She invites people home to have a cooked meal. And when, when new babies are born in this church, there's a meal roster that happens. And all the administration is done. And the teaching is fabulous. And he looks at these faces and he thinks of this church. And Paul says, you know what? It's all utterly meaningless. It's a joke. It's worthless. It's all worthless unless, unless it's accompanied by love. Love for God and love for each other. You can do heaps of things for God. You can serve God. But if your heart is wrong, if it's not motivated by love, if it's not bathed in love, it's utterly, utterly meaningless. That's what this chapter is about. It's a rebuke. He says, without love, you're just full of pride. Without love, you're arrogant. Without love, you're just rude. Without love, you're just a church that's just gone wild. So stop it and grow up and listen and love each other. Let me be really clear. This chapter is not attacking gifts. Gifts are good. Gifts are great. What is attacking is a person who's really just hypocritical. They sit in the pews and they use their gifts, but actually scratch the heart. No love for God and no real love for each other. So it's not a, a fuzzy, sentimental love poem, is it? It's a stinging rebuke. And you can imagine when Paul 
penned this chapter and when the Corinthians read this chapter they would be squirming. And I'm going to pray that as we read this chapter tonight we would grasp what it means and that God would do a good work in each one of us. So let me pray. Uh, Lord, sometimes when we read the Bible we think that we know it and our hearts need to be challenged and I do pray for a powerful work of your spirit tonight that he would correct any wrong thinking and he would encourage those who need to be encouraged and rebuke those who need to be rebuked. Help us to handle your word well and to love you more because of it. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. So over to Judy. Let's listen to chapter 13. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 may be found on page 813. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease, where there are tongues they will be stilled, where there is knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. What is the the sign of the spirit-filled person? What's the sign that someone really is filled with the spirit? Is it knowledge? Is it knowledge? How many books they've got in their bookshelves, how many theological degrees they've got, how many big words they use. Is it um, passion in worship? You know, if somebody tilts their head back and closes their eyes and maybe raises their hands. Is it spiritual gifts? Yeah, the person who, who has the gift of tongues or prophecy or healing or great gifts of administration or helping, is that the spiritual person? According to chapter 13, all those are good things and great things. But the one true sign that someone really is spirit-filled is this. 
they live a life of love. They live a life of love. Their whole being, their whole character is shaped by love. Love for God and love for each other. That's what this chapter is saying, that love is indispensable. Love is indispensable. You can't, can't be a Christian, you can't claim to follow Jesus if you haven't got love. Uh, people debate, is he talking about love for God or, or love for other people? It's both, isn't it? You can't have the, the, the vertical love for God without loving each other. How, how do you know someone really loves God? Because, because they love each other. Uh, what's the sign or why do people love each other? Because they love God. Love for God, love for other people. We can't say that uh, I'm a follower of Jesus, but uh, my gift is humility. I need to work a little on my love. I'm a follower of Jesus. My gift is patience, but I'm a little light on love. We can't say I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't really care about love. He says, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, love is not an optional add-on. It's the indispensable. Look at verse 1. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, uh, the Corinthians loved tongues. They thought it was the most impressive gift. He's not condemning tongues. Chapter 14, Paul speaks in tongues. Paul says, I wish everyone spoke in tongues like I speak in tongues. It's a good thing, it's a great thing to have that gift where you have a prayer language with God, uh, where you are speaking in a language that is unknown, that only you understand, but it helps you, it edifies you. It's a good gift. But no matter how impressive that gift is, no matter how many people you encouraged by that gift, first one, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, do you spot the shock there? He's not saying the gift is a resounding gong or the gift is a clanging cymbal. He says, the speaker, I am a resounding gong, I am empty, I am hollow, I'm just meaningless noise. I stand up in church and I babble away and I impress people, but actually... I'm nothing without love. What about prophecy in verse 2? A great gift again. A word gift to inspire, to build up the church. If I have the gift of prophecy. Or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. How good would that be? If we knew everything about God. If we could fathom everything about God. No questions, no doubts. We knew everything. That would be an amazing gift, wouldn't it? Or if you had faith that could move mountains. You know, the most incredible trust in God that you go anywhere or do anything for him. You can have all those things, but verse 2, but if you have not got love, what does he say? I am, I'm not perfect? No. I need to work a bit harder? No. Without love I am, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Oh, maybe I do great things for God, verse 3. Uh, if I give all I possess to the poor, and if, I, if I give my whole wardrobe to the winter appeal, if I help out at Hope Street every single Saturday or Sunday, or, or if, I, if I surrender my body to the flames, verse 3, if, if, I, if I'm a martyr, if I'm prepared to die for Christ, surely that would speak volumes. I, I might have my name on a plaque in church. I may have uh, my name in, in a list somewhere of all these great saints. Saint Peter, Saint Carol, Saint whoever. But if I don't have love, verse 3, I gain nothing. Do you get the shock? 
You, know, you can do all these things, things, things for God, but actually, if your heart is not one of love for God and love for others, it's all just a sham. I was thinking what we might say today. Here's a list I came up with. If I have theological information crammed into my head, but have not love. If I preach the best sermons in Sydney, and people say, yes, but have not love. If I do social action and I leave simply Christianity. If I do the winter appeal and I have gift administration and pastoral care. If I have people in my home every week and I lead a connect group. If I read the Bible every day and I journal and if I go to church and I worship with my eyes closed and if I run a prayer group at work and I give generously and generously and generously. I do all those things, 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 good things. But have not love. It is utterly, utterly meaningless. Things aren't meaningless. People are helped. People are built up. But, but you as a believer who's doing them with the wrong attitude, you gain nothing. God's not interested in just things. God's not interested in how busy we are. It's our heart, isn't it? A heart of love. Love for him and love for others. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, it's almost like you're living and you're breathing love. Breathe in love, breathe out love, breathe in love, breathe out. It just comes naturally. Matthew 22, love God, love each other. That's the greatest commandment. John 13, by this all people shall know you are my disciples if you love one another. Let me just say that love isn't just, just loving the people that you like or the people you find particularly easy. It's loving those who you find really, really hard. Love is indispensable. What does it look like? What does this love look like? If you take a note, just, just get your, your bulletin. Just spend 20 seconds writing down words. Love is dot, dot, dot. Love is dot, dot, dot. What do you write? What is love? If you're not a writer, just think in your head. Love is... what some people said in our world love is the master key that opens the gates of happiness love is like quicksilver in the hand leave the fingers open it stays clutch it and it darts away that's Dorothy Parker Mark Twain said love is the irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired Uh, Peter Ustinov love is an act of endless forgiveness a tender look which becomes a habit. What is love? What did um, Nicole Kidman and Hugh McGregor say? Love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up to where we belong, where the mountains are high and the eagles fly. All you need is love. I will always love you. Okay? Is that love? What does Paul say? Okay, remember the church he's writing to? Corinthians are, are filing lawsuits. They're slipping into sexual immorality. They're flaunting their rights. There's a bun fight at the Lord's Supper. There's division. There's boasting. I just feel them squirming as they read these words in verse uh, 4 onwards. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is patient. Uh, the King James says, love suffereth longeth. Love is patient. And the Christian who says, I'm willing to wait. It's not my agenda. It's not my plans. I will stand by you even when you let me down and I'll be patient. Because I love you. Love is kind. Even when someone at church really hurts me, I'm quick to pay back. But pay back in kindness. Not in retaliation. That goodness, that generosity. Uh, verse 4, love does not envy. You know, I don't sit in church and look at others and say, I want that and I need that and I'm better than you and you're worse than me. I don't have rivals. I don't have my glory moments. Love doesn't boast, verse 4. It's not look at me, look at me. You know? I'm at church all day and uh, I, I hand out the Bibles all the time and I cook dinner all the time and I'm on sound all the time. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's not love. Love isn't rude. Love is not rude, verse 5. Uh, my actions, I consider how they will impact others. Uh, love isn't self-seeking, verse 5. You know? Okay, giving you a lift home will put me out, but that's okay, it's not about me. Uh, that decision of yours has caused me some discomfort, but that's okay, because it's not about me. It's not about my empire and my rights and me being determined to give it my, have, have things my way. Love isn't easily angered. You know, love has a long fuse. I don't fly off the handle. Yes, you've hurt me. Yes, you've upset me, but I don't vent. I just love you. This is what I struggle with. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, I don't have a, a personal file of personal grievances against that person. You gossiped about me two years and it's payback time. <laughs> You don't say, you let me down and, and you know, you've, got to, you've got to earn my trust again. No, I love you. I don't keep a record of that wrong. Imagine if God kept a record of our wrongs. Imagine if God held our sin against us. Where would he be then? Love keeps no record of wrong. Love doesn't delight in evil. Verse 6. Now, when you hear someone slip into sin, you don't, you don't feel smug. <laughs> when you hear of a Christian brother or sister who is sinning, you don't celebrate it or you don't think, oh, I'm better than them. You meet with them and you pray with them and you seek to bring them back to Christ and you long for mercy and you long for justice and because you delight in the truth instead. You rejoice with the truth. Verse 6. Verse 7, rather, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Even when you're let down in the worst possible way, you press on, keeping loving people, keeping loving God. That is love, isn't it? Genuine, Christ-like love. And you, when, you, when I read that list, what, what's going through your head? That went through my head. Two things went through my head. One, how how shallow and how superficial uh, I think of love and the world thinks of love. You know, we reduce love to this, this emotion. You, you fall in love and then you fall out of love. 
like you catch the measles. You got it one day and you haven't got it the next. There's nothing in this list that's sentimental. There's nothing about feelings. It's all about actions. all about deeds. all about attributes and self, selflessness. And It's all about Christ, isn't it? As Christians, shouldn't we try and redefine love according to the Scriptures, not according to Mr. Hallmark or Carl and Jackie O? How superficial is our love? But then I thought, you know, how shallow and superficial is my love? You know, I sing words like, show me how to love like you have loved me. I love that song. I love singing that line. I just don't do it. And sometimes I don't even try to do it. See, he's not talking about love in marriage. He's not talking about loving the person you're dating. He's talking about people in church, you know. The person in your connect group who you struggle with, the person on the welcoming team who you work with, the person that you talk to over supper, the person sitting next to you right now. They're the kind of person you're called to love with this kind of love, patience, kindness, generosity. So when someone at church does disappoint you, and love is kind and it keeps no record of that wrong, when someone doesn't do what you want them to do or they say something unkind, love perseveres. And when someone else gets the praise that you think you deserve, love doesn't envy Of course, we never really learn to love like this unless we actually come and know each other and share our lives with each other and, you know, let each other love each other. <laughs> but that all sounds really hard, doesn't it? And you're probably sitting there, like I was, feeling crushed and guilty and thinking, I just can't do this. And then I spotted that um, you could replace that word love in verses 4 to 7 with a different word. And the word is Jesus. Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind and Jesus didn't envy, he didn't boast, he, he wasn't proud. Jesus kept no record of wrongs. He wasn't angered, wrongly angered that was. Uh, Jesus didn't delight in evil but rejoiced with the truth. And Jesus protected and trusted and hoped and, and persevered. And then the penny dropped because if I'm in Christ and if you're in Christ, then God doesn't see all my failings to love. What he sees is Christ in me. And that's why you and I need to really grasp, you know, the depth of Christ's love for you. So that you can actually say, you know, love is all these things and I'm in Christ. And yes, I'm called to do this and I'm called to strive for this. I must strive for this, but I'm never going to reach it. Uh, my guess is there people out here who, there's this kind of facade. We're doing things and we're doing things and we're doing things. And we know that our heart isn't anywhere near this list. And yet we still think that we can come week in, week in, week in, week out and do, 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 do. And yet we also know that our heart is not with Jesus. And my pleading with you tonight is actually put your heart with Jesus because he is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. We can't do it, but Jesus did do it. 
That's what love is. Why bother? Why is it so important? Well, lastly tonight, because love is permanent. Love is the only permanent thing in life. You know, you treat temporary things and permanent things differently, don't you? I was thinking this week, you know, my attitude towards a disposable cup and a, and a, a bone china cup is completely different. I'd love to get a tattoo. I'd love to get a tattoo if, if they weren't permanent. A temporary, sure. Permanent, nah. That's not a comment on those who have tattoos. Also, thinking, I, I love babysitting. Temporary. Babysitters are great. Permanent? Not, no thanks. No offence to people here. Um, <laughs> it's the same with Christian life, isn't it? You know, there are some things which are temporary and there are some things which are permanent. And the gifts, they're great things, they're important things. Tongues, prophecy, teaching, admin, helping, encouraging, music, serving. They're really important things so we can know God. But they're just temporary. They're just for now. They're just gifts that we're given now so we can know God better. Because we're heading for a day when we won't need to know God better because we'll see him face to face. And we're heading for a day when we won't need a prophecy. We can just go up to Jesus and say, what do you think about this? And that's what Paul says. Verse 8. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. There'll be a day when they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9, for we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Don't you resonate with that? We, we know in part. There's still lots we'd like to know. We've still got questions. Our brains are aching. What about this God? What about this God? We only know in part. Verse 10, but when perfection comes, uh, the imperfect disappears. What's this perfection? Oh, some people have said oh, it's when the Bible came. But that's not perfection. We don't know God perfectly, even in the Scriptures. When's perfection? It's when all this rubbish of this world disappears. And our hatred and our idolatry and our selfishness is gone. When's that? When Christ returns. And on that day, we won't need all these things like prophecy and tongues and teaching. Because we'll see God face to face. Uh, Bart said, because the sun rises, all the lights go out. Uh, when the sun rises, you turn the lights off. When, when you reach home, you take off your coat and you say, I don't need it anymore because I'm home. But we're not home, we're living on this earth. And the Corinthians thought they could have all the blessings of heaven here on earth. And Paul says, don't be so childish. When I was a child, verse 11, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I, I put childish ways behind me. I don't think he's just saying grow up. I think he's saying uh, when you're a child, certain things delight you. You know, you love playing with your, your action men and your dolls and you, you love playing dress-ups and that's what it's like to be a child. But... But when you grow up, when you're a man, things are different. You don't play dress up. You just spend lots of money on clothes and look good. And you, know, and you don't play with dolls. You actually relate to people. And he's saying, here on earth, it's like, it's like you're, in, you're in the kindergarten. On earth, you, you are playing with dolls and you are dressing up because it's not perfection yet. But when you're a man, on that last day, when you're a man or woman before Christ, you don't need these things anymore because you're going to see God and you're going to see your Saviour face to face. And now we see but a poor reflection of those, as in the mirror, verse 12. And then we shall see face to face. 
when you look in the mirror in those days, the mirrors will be bronze and you see a sort of incomplete, fuzzy image. And that's like our understanding of Jesus, isn't it? It's, it is good, but it's still fuzzy, it's still incomplete. It's like Skype, you know, I, I love Skype. I talk to my family on Skype, but the image is still grainy and it's no comparison for just seeing her face to face, you know, the, the hug at the airport and you actually see them face to face. And that's us, you know, we love Jesus now, we know a bit about Jesus now, but one day we're going to see him face to face. And now I know in part, then I know fully, even as I'm fully known. I want to ask you, are you longing for that day when you see Jesus face to face? Do you live and eat and breathe for that day, every day, one step closer to glory, one step closer to basking in God's love for eternity? Because that will help you to love like Jesus does. That will motivate you to love like Jesus does. Why? Because love is the one thing that's going to remain. Verse 13, these three remain, faith, hope and love. Uh, But on that day you won't need faith. You won't need trust because you've got sight. And, And on that day you won't need hope because hope is over. It's the reality now. But on that day, verse 13, you'll still need love. Because love is like the the language of eternity. Ever thought about that? Love is like the language of eternity or the currency of eternity. Love lasts. Love is permanent. Love is what you'll be like and what we'll be doing for the next 10 years and 50 years and million years and trillion years. And now do you see why love is so important? Because the only thing in life that will last, love. Love, love, love. And in this church, that's why love is so important. It's more important than programmes. It's more important than experience. It's more important than any gift. Because that's what will show that this church is a church preaching Christ and heading for eternity. So my plea with you tonight is just to desire the life of love. To desire the life of love. How are you going to do that? Well, it starts with praising God, you know, praising God for him, praising God for each other. It's hard not to love somebody if you've actually sat down and praised God for them. And then pray. God give me the grace to love that person. God give me the strength to love the person who's really hurt me. God give me the courage to love the person who's given me the reason to not trust them. God give me love, Christ-like love, selfless love. God show me how to love like you have loved me. Let's pray. These three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Our Father, we we thank you that Jesus is patient and kind. He didn't envy, he didn't boast. He didn't um, count wrongs against people. Father, we thank you that in him we see love. And at the cross we see the most powerful demonstration of that love. Uh, Lord, help us to, to know Jesus better, that we might love you more. Help us to love Jesus passionately each day. 
And please, please show us how to love like you have loved us. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.